I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is April 10th, 1968. We are at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium for the 40th annual, yes, that's right, 40 years of Oscar, 40th annual Academy Awards. Uh, the host of the evening has been our good old friend Bob Hope. Uh, we've had some movies kind of split through um, on who's winning what, because a lot of big uh, big award winners this year, a lot of uh, big name movies, as we discussed in last week's episode. So I guess it's just time to go ahead and ask for the envelope, please. And the winner is... In the heat of the night. All right. Bada bing. I mean, boom. I I guess that that is the movie to discuss, considering we talked about the other movies. (laughs) Yeah, we've tackled, (laughs) yes, at length about the other four nominees. Very, very true. Well, here we are in 1967. I wanted to point out here right off the bat, too, that this is our first year where we no longer have separate color and black and white film categories. Everything is now roped together. It is just costume design. It is just art direction, just cinematography. Uh, They stopped splitting it in between those two. So, you know, we talk about 1967 in terms of just film content and how that gets pushed forward. But even the structure of our ceremony is also being pushed forward as well uh, in this particular year. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we uh, we discussed last week about how much uh, the tenor of uh, what is being showcased in the movies has changed. And uh, that definitely extends to the awards and how they're presented as well. And it, it's not lost on me that this is a big anniversary year on top of that, the 40th annual. Um, Absolutely. And as part of the anniversary year... At this particular ceremony, they had um, a lot of specially filmed segments that were done ahead of time and aired during the ceremony um, of uh, past Oscar winners introducing um, information about the history of the awards. And this was intercut throughout the ceremony. Um, Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And so while Catherine Hepburn might have won this year... And she very famously only went to the Oscars once. Uh, we'll get to that year um, to give a special award. Um, she does appear in costume uh, for The Lion in Winter in a pre-recorded segment um, on set for The Lion in Winter, <laughs> um, which is which oh is kind of fun. And then at one point, um, uh, Olivia de Havilland appears, and she gives uh, part of the history, and she's... Um, yeah, at some really amazing uh, historical building in France, you know, and so oh, man. Uh, there's a there's a lot of guest appearances uh, from past Oscar winners in this particular one, and not necessarily just in presentation, but also in the pre-recorded segments. That's great. That reminds me of you know back in two thousand eight when in, they would bring up five past winners to present uh, the main acting nominations. 
uh, in those categories. You know, I think it was the year Heath Ledger won in all five. I think, you know, uh, Joel Grey was one of them that came back to talk. I just think it's so cool when they bring back past winners and incorporate them in the ceremony. You get to kind of, you know, celebrate their wins. It's just part of history, film history, and it's really cool when we get to see that in the ceremony. Yeah, and I think they did that. The thing you're talking about, I suppose when we get to these years, we'll discuss it a little bit further, but I think they did that for uh, two years in a row. Um, oh, that, yeah. Yeah, I remember... Um, I think you're right. Yeah, you're right. I remember uh, uh, I remember Sophia Loren was in one of them, and Nicole Kidman was in one of them uh, for the Best Actress. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we should cross that bridge when we get to it and see... Uh, Absolutely. And see exactly what years it was and who did it. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, uh, do you have any notable snubs for this year? Any particular category that kind of you think there was something omitted? <laughs> well, considering that Dr. Doolittle got an Oscar nomination for Best Picture, <laughs> you know I wasn't not going to mention it. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Considering it got a nomination, uh, there are certainly... Um, a lot of other movies that could have been in that fifth slot that would have been more deserving than Dr. Doolittle, um, including a movie that I watched recently called uh, In Cold Blood, um, mm. which was filmed in black and white. Um, only one from this year I've seen in black and white, actually. Um, and it, uh, it is the, it's based on the true story um, and the novel by uh, Truman Capote, In Cold Blood, Um, that covers this uh, horrific murder that happened. uh, An entire family uh, was killed in uh, Kansas, in rural Kansas. And um, uh, it's told in such a way that you actually have empathy for the killers, uh, Mm. which is very original and very um, uh, different than you would get in any year before 1967. Sure, and that is um, part of what makes it groundbreaking. But that's also what part part of it what makes it so terrifying is the fact that you, excuse me, you relate to these um, these killers. And interestingly, one of them is uh, played by Robert Blake, who um, started as oh, a little boy. rascal back in the day, but is uh, later became like a TV star as well. But then uh, about twenty years ago. Um, uh, was tried and acquitted, I will say, although later, later found civilly liable uh, for the murder of his wife. So, a little bit of yes. life imitating art, allegedly. Well then! <laughs> so, uh, anyway, but it's a it's a masterfully made movie uh, by uh, Richard Brooks, uh, who also wrote the film as well. Um, and uh, as a, a former journalism major in college, I... I pre- appreciate the book it was based on and the movie that was made out of it because it is basically narrative investigative journalism. So anyway, right. That's oh, a, that that, great. that's a snub for me. It did get, it did get some solid nominations. It's not that it was totally snubbed. It got a best director nom, um, probably would have gotten that best picture nom if not for Dr. Doolittle, considering it's the only <laughs> best director nominee, not nominated for best picture. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so I would say that that's an obvious snub for me. Um, what Definitely. about you? I would say the, the most 
notable snub, in my opinion, is in the song category. Where is the music for The Graduate? Where is Mrs. Robinson? I don't understand why that didn't get nominated. Maybe there's some kind of, I don't know, technicality for the qualification of the award, where maybe since it was being written for something maybe. else first, then it got put into the movie, it didn't qualify. I think that- I think that must be it because I'm pretty sure the sound of silence um came from an earlier album. Yes, 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 um, yes. And I had read though, I had read though that what was when Mike Nichols Well, this is what I read about. So Mike Nichols approached them asking for more music because he liked the ones that uh, were given to him first and they said, "Well, we have this one that we've been writing um I think it was about Joe DiMaggio's wife. I think that it was supposed to originally be "Here's to You, Joe DiMaggio," or something like that. It was being written for somebody well, he's else. In basically, the, he's in the lyrics. Joe oh, DiMaggio is, is mentioned, and yeah. Um, or maybe it's maybe it was for Mrs. Roosevelt. Is that what it was for? It's Mrs. It was Roosevelt. Being, yes. Yes. Okay, that's before, what yeah. it is. Okay, yeah. So he was writing it about somebody else, and then Mike Nichols basically said, "Change it to Mrs. Robinson." That's coming into my movie. So I don't know if since it had originally was intended for a different medium, but then was brought into the film, it didn't qualify. I don't know, but it is one of the most, you know, I think cinematic songs. You hear that song and you can't not think about The Graduate. So I just, I think (laughs) it's uh, not being included in Best Original Song is still a little wacko. Let's talk about this Best Original Song category real quick, because I'm looking at it. Let's dig. (laughs) <laughs> and I've actually seen four of the five movies here. Um, the uh-huh. only one I haven't seen is the movie Banning, which is uh, has the song The Eyes of Love, music by Quincy Jones, lyrics by Bob Russell. This is a great year for Quincy Jones, who did both the score to In Cold Blood and uh, In the Heat of the Night. Um, yep. But uh, First of all, Talk to the Animals should not have won Best Original Song. Let's just get that out of the way. Absolutely um, not. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, uh, I've seen Thoroughly Modern Millie, um, and uh, the musical is better than the movie, and the musical was made after the movie. But anyway, um, uh, the song the song is fine. I don't. It doesn't hurt me it being there. It's it's fine. Um, sure. The Jimmy is a better song, I think, that's in that movie. But um, anyway, um, The Look of Love from Casino Royale with, with music by Burke Bacharach, um, lyrics by Hal David. Um, that is a really, if you saw the movie and you found out that song was nominated, you would be confused. It's just kind of, it, the movie is so bizarre. It's just weird that it has an Oscar nomination. Because um, it is a parody of James Bond films, but it also is super hippy-dippy trippy. And, oh sure. Uh, there's multiple James Bonds, and oh. it's confusing. And the cast is incredible, but it just like is so weird. It's so weird. Um, sure. Anyway, um, the Bare Necessities, great song, definitely should be here. Okay. Yes. Um, what I am wondering, <laughs> having mm-hmm. now seen these movies, is if you look at the Best Picture nominees. Okay. Um, you have The Graduate, and you have um, the song that you just mentioned, Mrs. Robinson, which cl- probably should be here, because if they just changed a lyric for it, that means to, to me that they didn't, hadn't released it yet. So 
Agreed. That seems, yeah. seems like it would qualify. Okay. Um, you have In the Heat of the Night, which has a song mm-hmm. called In the Heat of the Night. In the Heat of the Night. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, which and it's a good song. I, which is a good song. It's a solid, um, and it's uh, performed by, uh, um, uh, who performs it? Is it, um, it's it's somebody super famous. Hold on a second. Um, Isn't it Ray Charles? Uh, I think you're right, but I want to now. Yes, confirm <laughs> I'm that. I'm second guessing. Um, I'm second guessing myself. Uh, yes, the song is, is performed by Ray Charles. Yes. Um, so it just seems like there's a lot of famous tunes going here. <laughs> yeah, and we're not put into the category. There must have been some kind of different qualification. The original song category has a lot of things you have to meet in order to actually qualify for the Oscar. Um, So there's just a part of me that thinks that maybe some of these songs just didn't qualify for reasons unknown to us. How do we get Talk to the Animals not to win? That's the question. Good gracious, that is the question. I mean, (laughs) the answer is it should have been, of the five nominated, it should have been The Bare Necessities. I think that is a no-brainer. But I wonder if this is just... Yeah. Then it would have been that, absolutely. I think this is just, the, you know, one of the places where Academy voters felt they could actually, you know, uh, give an Oscar to Dr. Doolittle. Maybe they felt like they needed to. You know, they gave it special effects because, as well. Because they gave them so much free stuff. Yeah, I guess <laughs> so. I don't know. A little, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's embarrassing. The song is awful. It's dreadful. Yeah, no, the the movie is embarrassing. It's awful. It's dreadful. I don't. Yes. <laughs> I don't have positive things to say. Um, anyway, okay. Uh, uh, is there is there something you'd like to spotlight? Something that you in that you are happy about? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I would. Thank you for asking. I want to spotlight one of the uh, leading actress nominees. It's Audrey Hepburn in Wait Until Dark. Ooh, and I wanted I'll to bring a spotlight to done. this. Beautiful. I wanted to bring a spotlight to this because I feel like I've heard from people and read a lot that, you know, Catherine Hepburn did not deserve her Oscar for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I agree with you. And they always point to Audrey Hepburn, who they think should have won um, in this year. So I was like, you know what? I need to actually sit down and watch this movie and see if I agree because in my mind – it's Anne Bancroft who delivers the best performance, but I needed to watch this one first to really give feedback. Now, I will say this. I still think my opinion is correct. I think this is still Anne Bancroft's Oscar, but this is the best I've seen Audrey Hepburn since Roman Holiday. Uh, for those who haven't seen Wait Until Dark, it is about a blind woman, uh, Susie, who is played by Hepburn, and how she unknowingly gets roped into this drug smuggling scheme. Uh, by three con artists, and they end up trapping her in her apartment as she tries to, you know, fight for her life. Um, It's kind of a broad plot summary for you, but I don't want to give too much away. It is a really, really great thriller, and that's what I want to get into more so. This is full-out a Hitchcock movie not directed by Hitchcock. It is brilliant in setting up suspense and callbacks so that you... You, you can anticipate the suspense, which is what I think Hitchcock always does so well. He shows you something in the beginning that then later comes so important later on at the end of the film. And Audrey Hepburn does a really, really good job. I mean, she 
she sets up a wonderful little character arc for this woman who refuses to become a victim. First, she's um, overcoming her new ailment of being blind. And then in the end of the film, she's overcoming um, the bad guys while not allowing herself to get killed. Um, so there's kind of that correlation between what it means to be a victim in both of those instances in this film. And she goes from this kind of demure sort of shy woman into someone totally in charge of her life by the end of it. So it's a fun character arc um, throughout this movie. Um, I, um, but s- yeah, go ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say that I think it's a great performance, but I still don't think it's quite up to snuff against what M. Bancroft does in The Graduate. But as far as uh, Catherine Hepburn, yes, this is far and away better than Catherine Hepburn. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, I've seen Wait Until Dark uh, a few times. Um, I uh, it's one of it's a movie that my mom really really likes, and so I ended up seeing it uh, earlier because I watch it with my mom. Um, she remembers seeing it in a movie theater and um, and being just you know scared out of her mind. Um, mm-hmm. And it is uh, I just want to mention kind of a factoid about it. It is uh, based on a play. Um, by the same guy who wrote uh, Dial M for Murder, the play. And, ah. um, yeah, um, both uh, murdery, you know, one-set stories, basically. And mm-hmm. um, with uh, with a female uh, protagonist. Um, but uh, the last 20 minutes of this movie... Um, the theaters were required to lower the interior lights, like the lights on the chairs and on the floor and everything, uh, to the legal limit, whatever that meant, so that it was right. as dark as possible <laughs> inside the theater because the last uh, section of this movie takes place in almost total darkness. The reason it takes place in darkness is... Um, to uh, kind of mimic um, what Audrey Hepburn's character is feeling, and um, you know the great, the great uh, turn of the of the screw in the film is whenever mm-hmm. uh, she gets to use her weakness against them. You know, yep. Um, her weakness becomes her strength. Uh, exactly. And so it's a it's a great thriller, but it has a great uh, point to it as well, and it has what I think is probably the best jump scare ever in a movie. It's not a horror movie necessarily, but it has one really well staged and well timed jump scare. That's yes, uh, that is true. I only wish that I, yeah, I wish that I wasn't aware of the jump scare before I watched it, (laughs) knowing that it was coming. You know what I mean? I won't yeah. tell people where it is. Um, yes, yes, yes. Our lips are sealed on that. Here's my only thing about this about. movie, though. Go ahead. Here's my only thing. There, there are just some pretty major plot holes in the setup of this movie. For example, there's a little girl who checks in on Susie every once in a while. Her name is Gloria. And toward the end, after Audrey Hepburn discovers that the men who've been coming into her apartment are the bad guys, they are in fact after her, for some reason, she decides to send Gloria to the bus stop 
to wait for her husband to come back when she just as easily could have sent Gloria up to her apartment to call the cops. I just I oh, oh, I, can't I actually get past that. I know that one. I know that one. Okay. Okay. Remember they cut they cut the phone lines for the building. That doesn't happen until the one guy comes back. She sends Gloria oh. before the guy with you before Alan Arkin comes back and does that. Oh. Yeah, that is that And is then confusing. she discovers that the phone line's been cut. But also like she's <laughs> also I mean she just there 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 are too many times where she could have called the cops and gotten them to come over and she doesn't yeah that it's it's just a little it's a little unbelievable but i mean you know with a lot of thrillers you're supposed to suspend your disbelief in things like that and you do and it's enjoyable even though that's a glaring (laughs) plot hole but but yeah this is um this is uh it's not exactly the tightest but um because while uh, it is uh, like a Hitchcock movie, it's not a Hitchcock movie, so you shouldn't expect that level of precision. But true, um, it is directed by uh, Terrence uh, Young, I believe is his name. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yes, and he directed um, a couple of James Bond movies. So mm. um, another James Bond connection. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it. Uh, it still is a fun little thriller. I don't think a Best Picture nominee, but a good, solid performance from Audrey Hepburn and definitely worthy of a nomination. Yes, and always very fun to see someone get nominated for a thriller, semi-horror film. I think it's always cool when those do slide in with the nominations. Do you have anything else okay. you wanted to spotlight? Oh, um, uh, two things real quickly. We were mentioning Hitchcock and... This is the year that Hitchcock gets his honorary Oscar, um, yes. the Irving Thalberg Award, um, and he gives a very short speech. <laughs> he gets up there, he says thank you, and he leaves. Um, so after <laughs> what about us? Years of um, of snubs by the Academy. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't give them much. <laughs> um, sure, but but also I wanted to mention. Um, something I, I, uh, realized when watching in in the heat of the night, um, is that it includes a short, but interesting performance from, um, a couple of different fun actresses, one of whom is in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, um, Bo Richards is her name, Mm -hmm. and she, um, and she plays like a very wise mother role, and guess who's coming to dinner? But she plays a backstreet abortionist in in the heat of the night, and um, and the performances could not be more different from one another. She got a supporting mm-hmm. nomination for guess who's coming to dinner. But um, I gotta say, her little cameo in in the heat of the night, I was just so impressed with her as a performer because they were such different roles, you know? Yeah, um, totally. So I wanted to mention, I wanted to highlight her, but I also wanted to say how in the hell did lee grant not get nominated for in the heat of the night i'm That's so true. confused um, i know i've read a lot of two or three scenes about that. but sh- yes i well it lee grant had been blacklisted by hollywood mm-hmm. for about 15 or so years because her husband 
was uh, named by a director named Edward Dimitrik um, as a communist, and she also got blacklisted. Um, mm-hmm. So um, uh, that is, I'm assuming, it was why she wasn't working very much for a long time. Then in 1967, uh, everything changed, and I think because of this movie, she ended up getting a lot of um, work, and she also would bridge into directing as well. But mm-hmm. um, and she's still with us as of this recording, Lee Grant in her nineties. Um, but uh, she so she didn't become a, a really steady working actress until she was in her forties, which is incredible. Um, yeah, but. Uh, and she did eventually win a Supporting Actress Oscar for Shampoo. But even though she's only in two or three scenes, she is brilliant in the scene she yeah. has in this movie. She is absolutely brilliant. When she takes Sidney Poitier's hand in this mm. movie, uh-huh. it is such a great moment. And she does so much with so little. I am just upset she doesn't have a nomination. <laughs> Yes, she I really does create a full character. She's better, no offense to Estelle Parsons, I think Estelle Parsons is great in Bonnie and Clyde. I think she's better than Estelle Parsons in Bonnie and Clyde, personally. So I would agree with that, actually. Yes, I would, yes. Yeah, so I'm just wondering why Lee Grant doesn't have a nomination for In the Heat of the Night. That's all... Very true. Yeah, and you would think that they would kind of want to sort of play off of that, like, comeback performance, you know, coming off of being blacklisted. Here's a kind of a thankless role but she does so much with it you can easily kind of paint that as a oh look at lee grant in her big comeback you know yeah um and you know looking at the supporting actress list here i actually (laughs) don't you dare talk about carol channing (laughs) she deserves the nomination all of these movies (laughs) carol channing definitely deserves her nomination that's totally fine um she is the best part of Thoroughly Modern Millie, without any question. It is a It is a batshit crazy movie <laughs> that is on several drugs simultaneously. But mm-hmm. Carol Channing's the best part of it. And she says raspberries in a way that... Anyway. That you um, will never forget. But, yeah. uh, raspberries! Uh... You know, but like Mildred Natwick, Natwick is, has a great little part in Barefoot in the Park. She's great in it she doesn't do what Lee Grant's doing. Um, mm-hmm. Catherine Ross, uh, I mean, like, The Graduate's iconic. Her character's iconic. I don't think what she has to do is is as demanding as what Lee Grant has to do in her scenes, personally. Sure. So no offense to any of these people, because I like all of these actresses. I just think Lee Grant should have gotten this award. That's all. That's all. Oh, fair. I can see that. I can see a world where that happens. Well, you know what? You've kind of taken us into In the Heat of the Night, so let's just dive into our main event. In the heat of the night. In the Heat of the Night, the best picture. This is our culmination of our two episodes special of the 1967 year. So in the heat of the night, I'll give a brief summary for those who haven't seen it. I do recommend this movie. It is quite good. It is about a police sheriff played by Rod Steiger, and he enlists the help of a black police officer played by Sidney Poitier, uh, who is from the north, and he enlists him to help solve a murder that happens in his very, very southern, very, very racist town. And the more they end up uncovering about this murder, the more it becomes unsafe for Poitiers to stay in this town. 
um, because he very well may become the next victim. It's kind of a brief summary for you. Yeah, I like this movie. I think the pacing of this movie is very strong. It's only about an hour and 45 minutes. And with the pacing, and this is where I wanted to bring in what you talked about, the score earlier, the music plays such an important part in this film with keeping the movie um, chugging along at such a rapid pace. The movie just catches up with you through and through. And it just the music just makes it feel, you know, hot and sweaty and uh, um, kind of gritty, that sort of color um, uh, film noir now version that we're getting into. This is one of the only, I guess, crime thrillers that does win Best Picture. And the music plays a big part, uh, important part in that. You know, it's 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 also, I mean, it, it also could be called a murder mystery. I mean, it's, um, mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, you mentioned the music and... I guess because he was nominated for In Cold Blood, he didn't get a nomination for In the Heat of the Night. Right. That's the only thing I can think of, because Quincy Jones is nominated for Best Original Score for In the Cold Blood, but he, both movies have great scores. Both movies have better scores than Dr. Doolittle, but for some reason, <laughs> Dr. Doolittle's nominated In the Heat of the Night oh is not. Oh gosh. Um, this will never go I'm away. I'm so confused, because this is such a... Great score. Um, and the movie itself is just chock full of like um, uh, movie moments that kind of became iconic, even if you didn't realize they were from this movie. Like mm-hmm. uh, most famously, the line that um, Sidney Poitier gives, uh, they call me Mr. Tibbs. They call me Mr. Tibbs. You know, mm-hmm. which is just as wonderful as you would imagine it to be when it comes. And yes. um the best moment I think in the movie is when um, this racist white guy slaps Sidney Poitier and then Sidney just, uh, or Tibbs, I should say the character, um, Virgil Tibbs just slaps him right back. And Mm, it's beautiful. And Rod Steiger wins uh, best actor um, for this movie. Interestingly, Sidney Poitier was in three really big movies in 1967, also in To Stir With Love, which is another song that wasn't nominated for Best Original Song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and he has leading roles in three hugely successful films, and he's not nominated for Best Actor, which is so interesting. Uh, Rod Steiger mm-hmm. kind of ended up getting the majority of the praise uh, for this film, because he he does do great work, and I will say, Sidney himself wrote in his autobiography that he felt he didn't know how to act until he worked with Rod Steiger. Ooh, um, sure. Well, that makes about... a lot of sense. You know, Rod Steiger comes from that heavy method acting background. Mm-hmm. You know, of a lot of the actors in the early fifties, late forties, kind of came out of that school of training. So I bet you Poitier saw that and was like, ooh. There's a method to this. <laughs> yeah, even though he'd already been doing great work forever. Yeah, um, in his own way. But, uh, yeah. but uh, regardless, um, Rod Steiger does, uh, he plays this racist cop who racially profiles Sidney Poitier to get it all started, you know, and mm-hmm. ends up becoming friends with him, basically, in this uneasy yeah uneasy friendship i i should say um that is um 
definitely saying something about race in 1967. But what I what I love about this movie, and this is something that um, we talked about a few weeks ago, is that unlike um, unlike some uh, movies like some movies that have maybe won Best Picture in the last couple of years, there there really isn't a white savior element to this movie, you know? Right, like, right. It, it's just a very um, human story that doesn't make any sort of pretense about how incredibly racist white people are. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Um, and in, in, in a lot of ways, I, I think this movie probably plays better right now than it did a couple years ago because this is a movie that 100 percent um makes sense um too much sense after all we went through this last summer you know oh yeah i mean there's Um, that beautiful moment at the end of the movie once they've solved the crime yeah and sydney poitier gets to finally leave this town and as they get out of the car, Sidney Poitier goes back to get a suitcase, and Rod Steiger, without even missing a beat, picks up Sidney's suitcase for him and walks over to the train with him, kind of carrying his luggage as a as a sign of thankfulness, you know, and a, a sign of friendship between them. It's an unspoken moment, you know. You don't actually hear Rod Steiger finally say, you know, hey we're equals you're my friend but it's in that moment where he decides i'm going to <laughs> carry your luggage to the train because you have you're the reason this you know murder got solved it's i am thanking you i think that's very touching it's a really cool way to show it visually um rather than with dialogue. i love it i love that the the racial question of this movie is um so under the surface and unspoken in a lot of ways, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, because you don't have those scenes where um, you have the big moment where the white guy realizes how wrong he's been the whole time. and you Yeah, know, it's subtle, right? It's really subtle. It's very subtle, and it's just like this is the reality of what the world is in this town. Mm-hmm. And, and also, like, to be fair, like, Rod Steiger, yes, he might become friends with Sidney Poitier, but it doesn't mean it's fixed his racism, you know? No. I no. still think he's probably a bit of a bumbling asshole at the end of the movie, but he's been given that first flicker of, oh, maybe I am prejudiced, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I feel like that's what's important. This movie is kind of a jumping off point. It's not meant to fix the system or fix racism in small southern rural towns it gives you a glimpse at what one thing can spark yeah and um um rod steiger i have to say part of the the brilliance of his performance is that he could like on the page this guy is so one-dimensional in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. you know he could just be the villain and because he's he's wrong at every turn you know Mm -hmm. um he uh he has the completely wrong instincts and if Sidney Poitier wasn't there <laughs> yeah. you know the wrong guy <laughs> totally. would have been in jail immediately you know multiple um, times yeah multiple times um and if if Sidney Poitier hadn't been able to if he hadn't had his badge on him if he hadn't 
uh, been able to get in contact with his supervisor, he probably would have gone in jail for that murder. Like, mm-hmm. there's, um, if Rod Steiger was in charge of this narrative, it would not work. But, but, um, for somehow, he's able to make a human being out of what's on the page. And that is, um, I, I do really, I understand his win, and he does give a, a pretty great performance, so... Oh yeah, just um, for his gum smacking alone. I love that. <laughs> oh. Um and I, you know, <laughs> he's literally chewing from, the scenery. I think anybody who's from uh southern rural areas can can attest to the fact that they know somebody who at least gum smacks like he does. So, um <laughs> he uh he uh, yeah, um I'm I'm on board with the best actor win for this one. And I have to say Looking at this list, there are three movies that I would call great films. Okay. One movie I would call a very good movie, and one mm-hmm. I would call an atrocious film. Um, <laughs> spoiler: the atrocious movie is Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the very good film is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. The other uh-huh. three, I think, Bonnie and Clyde, The Graduate, and The Heathen Night are all in their own ways the absolute best example of what they are Mm, yeah and i think at this point when you have such a stacked category it becomes almost um preference as to Mm -hmm. what type of movie you like which is where why i think it's really interesting that the director picture split this year because i think indeed representative of the fact that there are multiple great films this year um, but I think historically speaking, In the Heat of the Night becomes the more important movie to win. Because even though there are some that would make the argument that The Graduate is the better movie, which, I mean, you could argue that back and forth all day long, mm. or that Bonnie and Clyde's the better movie, I think that In, he- in the Heat of the Night says something about the year that it was made. Um, and importantly, um, and ironically, the entire ceremony was delayed by two days because of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. And so mm-hmm. while the winner had nothing to do with that event, um, it is it, it, it says so much about where the pulse of the nation was to have this movie win in 1967. And speaking to you in 2021, um, on uh, the other side of the Black Lives Matters protest, um, this certainly seems like uh, the movie that needs that extra bit of um awards recognition to make sure that people keep discovering it Mm, absolutely yes you have to look at the politics of our nation in this given year and you place that perfectly you know a vote for in the heat of the night is really a vote for uh, progressives and uh, you know more left-leaning politics a black and white police officer from different parts of the nation can work together for the better good you know to solve a murder and put an actual criminal in jail um i think that definitely spoke to a lot of people 
And I think of the two movies we have here that are talking about race relations. I think one of them does it in a way that's very elementary. And <laughs> the other one does it in a way that's very stark and um, and, and gritty. And oh, yeah. the grittier one is more realistic. The more elementary one, I think, also has a place as well. Don't get me wrong. I, I, do, yes. I don't think that... I think that does something as well. And it's tackling interracial relationships, which is a different scenario altogether. But mm. the grittier take is uh, not... I think it's the one that, that holds up better on scrutiny. And it also just um it also just on top of what it's saying it is if you were to just look at it as a thriller as a mystery it holds up very well mm -hmm. you know um it tells yeah. a good story on top of everything else yeah no i think you're right i think guess who's coming to dinner is <laughs> guess who's coming to dinner really uh Ah, oh, gosh, it just, it pushes its point, it beats it over the head, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's just constantly very in your face about what it is. Whereas we talked about earlier, In the Heat of the Night, is a bit more subtle. I mean, you get the race relations very quickly, and the situation of them being in the South, but there is that crime as the backdrop, which works so much better. There's, an, there's that extra layer going on other than just race relations in the south that really helps push this one a bit further you know it's not just about that so whereas in guys who's coming to dinner you can't escape you know that singular plot that they have going on yeah it's a it's a little less uh it's not preachy um yeah there which, you go yes <laughs> which is oftentimes a more effective vessel of communicating a message um oh yeah uh interestingly um i i was just i just noticed this um apparently uh the current academy president at this point was uh the esteemed gregory peck um mm -hmm. and uh he did a push to make sure that acting nominees actually came to the ceremony because there Ooh. had been years where people didn't show you know and um <laughs> And uh, 18 of the 20 nominees were present. And the only so the only people that weren't there were Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, who had passed away. Um, and oh, wow. so every other nominee was there. And so then, of course, the person who's not there wins. Um, of course. But uh, but uh, I, I will say to Catherine Hepburn's credit. Even though I, I know Anne Bancroft or Audrey Hepburn might have been more worthy winners or Faye Dunaway for that matter she's great and Bonnie and Clyde um but uh and Edith Evans I'm mentioning you as well just because I feel bad now um I'm sure you were <laughs> and great she's a delight in everything she does so <laughs> yeah um what I will say about Katherine Hepburn is I think uh both her and Spencer Tracy and, and Sidney Poitier I, I think that the performances in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner are grounded it and they help take the subject matter um and or rather take the script i should say which could be very um you know just as i said elementary and they do give it a certain amount of reality that i don't think would be there without them um 
I think the issue with Katherine Hepburn's win here is that she really, um, she's in a really gray space where she's not, her part isn't big or demanding enough to really be considered the lead of the film. Um, I think it's Martin, I, excuse me, I think it's uh, Spencer Tracy's film. Uh, yes. all the way through well the whole um, the whole decision comes down to him at the end like what does he think about it you know that's what's really that's what really matters at the end of the movie yeah and Catherine hepburn doesn't get the big speech at the end you know um, right but she but her part is way too big to be considered supporting you mm-hmm. know um so she's kind of in this weird gray space it's like one of those things where i think she does the best job anybody could do in that role but at the same time there are other roles that were more demanding that you know it's just an interesting situation but with that said the only person in this category who never won an oscar excuse me was edith evans Mm -hmm. um and so right she never won one did she no you're right yes you're right yes okay good, good just making sure she didn't sneak in as supporting by me um right but uh and, and so it, it's like, yeah, Catherine probably won this one largely because people felt bad about Spencer Tracy dying. But she also doesn't really screw anyone over. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. You know, it's true. You know? Yeah. yeah. So because everybody else had an Oscar except for Edith Evans. So or would get one eventually true and i would also so. say that like their their oscar wins you know roman holiday for audrey um uh network for faye dunaway and uh the miracle worker for m bancroft are also amazing top notch top of your game performances so it's okay <laughs> yeah and it's interesting because i don't we'll talk more we'll i i will probably spotlight this next week uh when we talk mm-hmm. about the line in winter um but um but uh i think of the four performances that Catherine hepburn wins for it, it's fascinating to me because it, it's not i think only one of those four is the movie that you would pick out mm-hmm. does that make sense it does um, indeed yeah i'm very excited to hear you talk because about it. <laughs> line in winter next week summertime exists and suddenly last summer exists and um you know these other uh um uh, what's the other movie i was just thinking of adam's rib like these these movies where she gives um great performances um that are probably better than guess who's coming to dinner it's just interesting to me so yes anyway um so overall how do you what's your best picture of 1967 so for me, overall, my best picture is still The Graduate. I just think it it is a movie I would actually go back and watch over and over and over again. I never get tired of that movie. In the Heat of the Night comes in second place for me. I just think that, I don't know, for me, I wish that the the crime, uh, the actual whodunit murder mystery part of it was a bigger part of the movie. Um it kind of does sort of feel like a second fiddle, you know, sometimes. Um, but it's a great movie. No, for me, it's, yeah, for me, it's still The Graduate. What about you? Um, yeah, I'm I'm good within the heat of the night by, by a nose. Um, mm. 
and I might, I might have it beating out Bonnie and Clyde just slightly. Um, I, I do too. I, as far I, as the gritty films of the six of sixty seven go, you know, because both are very gritty and kind of in your face, I would give the edge to In the Heat of the Night as well. And part of that's just me liking uh, a more traditional structure better, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me too. Because because Bonnie and Clyde does um, play with uh, uh, narrative um, sensibilities. But um, and the heat of the night's a little bit more straightforward, just with a gritty topic and location work. But um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm good. I I I I would say my favorite film of these three probably would change based on what I watched most recently. But um, very true. Right and these are three very different movies, so that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm going within the heat of the night, but I'm, I'm absolutely, I would have been probably okay with any of those three winning. As long as it wasn't Dr. Doolittle, I was fine. As long as it's not Dr. Doolittle, honestly, that's, that I is mean, the main takeaway here. I mean, the big takeaway of 1967 is that somehow Dr. Doolittle defied all odds and got nominations when it was a piece of crap so garbage just garbage all right let's look into next week 1968 and the winner is oliver we get another musical rant it's our last one it's our last one for a while so we better enjoy push through push through um uh and something tells me that i'm not i i have not seen oliver this will be new for me okay um Mm, i have a feeling that i'm not going to like it as much as i like the sound of music that is my prediction that's um, your prediction i'm very curious to hear what you think like oliver can't be the best picture of that year right well oh, you the never lion know you the lion and winter you have not is my seen. is my early favorite there you go okay cool well i'll be very curious to hear your thoughts on oliver i have seen it a little while back uh and i'm gonna reserve my thoughts until we chit chat about it next time so join us next week everybody as we run down the Oscar ceremony for 1968.